Good afternoon, commissioners and public. This is the February 12, 2019 meeting of the Community Investments Committee. May I begin with the call of the roll, please? Uh, Chair Charles Collins. Present. Collins. Uh, Commissioner Ordenanda. Present. Commissioner Shiota. Here. Commissioner Shelby. Present. Commissioner So. Present. Present. Commissioner Mustay. Present. Commissioner Parker Pennington. Present. Staff. No, just commissioners on the roll call. Thank you. I would like to certainly welcome our new commissioners, uh, Linda Neville, being here. It is a thrill to have you. Uh, it is a wonderful time to be on this committee and on this commission. And I think the agenda of today will certainly call into attention you know, how fortunate we are to be in this committee at this point in time. So welcome, welcome, and welcome. Thank you. Um, Commissioner, so this you have been on the commission, but now you have your new assignment, and we are pleased to see you. Um, and, Likewise. Uh, yeah, and also you know, the, the breadth of this committee is just improved by the appointments that our president has made, so thank you, uh, President Ornyanko. And if I could just add, I'd like to congratulate you all on perfect attendance for 2019. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Talk to us in December. <laughs> May I begin with any general public comment, please? Yes. Please. Go Come to the mic. Yes. Sorry, I'm a little lame today. <laughs> well, take your time. Thank you. Uh, and would you pass that? Yes, I will. Um, what's being handed over is a, a mock-up of a potential, uh, what is it, half-page ad in the San Francisco Visitor's Guide. Um, I'm Deborah King, and I have been a San Francisco street artist since 1976. Although the program started in 1972 when I missed part of it. But um, my reason for being here is that there are currently 232 of us as of 2018. And um, I think that it would be really great for the 25 million visitors that come to San Francisco every year, for the city itself, and for the 232 artists who, um, that's probably the largest number of artists that can be in one, move uh, funded and this would help it's not it's not like it's a handout it's a help of knowledge for the 25 million uh, people that come through for the city as far as the coffers and we I mean maybe there's six or seven renegade kind of trouble things that go on among the 200 plus of us but the rest of us, we are so happy to engage as ambassadors, as information givers, as just being a warmth for these strangers. Um, but they don't know about us now. Back in the 70s and the early 80s, we were totally in vogue. Um, there were even national regional cartoons of 
things such as people's houses full of street art and crafts, and they get a visitor astounded with all this stuff. And they say, well, yeah, I'm going to keep going to these arts and craft shows until I run out of space, and then I'll buy a new space. But with the coming of the tech age, we lost our appeal totally, because now the public wanted the newest item and gadget, which I don't blame them, because here we are. We're in, in need of those newest items and gadgets. But our, even our membership went from the mid-400s down to trying to be 200 people, because it's so hard to sustain. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that the Free Access Visitors Channel will re-legitimize and re-put us into the public eye for, those, for the visitors. Um, as well as the visitors' um, little journal that's on the coffee table in the hotel rooms. Is that my time up? Yeah. Okay. So take a look at that. We would love to have the funding and the accessibility to hotels. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. King. You're welcome. Is there any further public comment? Please, Mr. Scott. Uh, thank you very much. Good afternoon again, commissioners. It's nice to have a, a second go around here. Um, community investments. The street arts program obviously needs help. I think whatever is, is advocating is a great thing. I'm actually here to advocate for more music. In the 1980s, at the plaza, I think the Embarcadero Center sponsored a concert. It was like Sunday afternoons. Now, in those days, there was a ugly freeway, and the plaza wasn't that pretty, and yet it got a pretty good crowd. So we now, with the new makeover, which is oh God, 10, 12 years old, the plaza is beautiful. It has a great stage. It has access to music, all the electricity you need right next door. Occasionally, an event shows up, and they have live music, or they have a DJ, and it's incredible. Uh, in 2012, we had our 40th anniversary. We hired a band. Everybody said it was terrific. Why don't we do that all the time? Now, seven years later, we still haven't done it. So what I'm thinking is, uh, I Googled how many music uh, conservatories and schools there are in San Francisco itself. There are all these young people who love to play and could get you know, something from the community investments. Uh, every year, my wife sells at San Francisco State uh, at their grand fair, and the students play jazz or whatever music they're, they're working on at school, and they're great. So if we could partner with some of these schools to have concerts on Saturdays and Sundays, May through September, it would be wonderful. Give them an opportunity, and with all the crowds at our market and also across the street at the, the Ferry Plaza, it would activate an area. Yerba Wayne Gardens has free concerts, Union Square has free concerts, and why not let a lot of young people uh, play? They can get paid, and they could also be selling their CDs and, and uh, you know, do a little uh, outreach to the public. So I would love to see that. So community investments, please. We do the visual arts and other things, but how about more music in the city? Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Scott. Excellent comment. Is there, yes. any <laughs> Is there any further public comment? Seeing none. May I move to item number three, the Director of Cultural Affairs report, Mr. Dean. 
Yes, thank you, Chair Collins. Um, um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, we have an exciting presentation, and I'm going to turn over the bulk of it to our Director of Community Investments, Barbara Mumby, to walk you through. Um, but I do want to just contextualize what you're um, about to see. So in order to have a good context for a discussion about the cultural services allocation plan um, as a part of the Arts Impact Endowment, uh, we thought it might be good to take a 30,000-foot look at the overall community investments program. We know we have some new committee members and new commissioners, but I also think for those of you that have served on the committee for a while, it never hurts to get a refresher of the overall community investments program. So um, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Barbara Mumby to walk you through the program as a whole and then um, focus this in on a conversation related to Proposition E and the New Arts Impact Endowment. So with that, our Director of Community Investments, Barbara Mumby. Thank you, Director DeCaney, and I'd also like to apologize. Our Senior Program Officer, Jaron Bonillo, is ill today. She was hoping to come and participate in this presentation, so I will be taking the, her slides as well. But um, as Commissioner Collins was, was talking about in the previous meeting, um, racial equity is the foundation of what community investments is. Um, prior to my arrival, we used to be several different programs. We had the community arts and education as well as the cultural equity grant making. Our cultural equity legislation is steeped in cultural equity. That was the foundation of those grants. Um, and what happened is when we merged the programs in 2014, that was an opportunity for us to infuse the concepts and the frameworks of equity throughout all of our grant making. And what has now happened is that not only is it infused within community investments, it was also the catalyst for our um, agency's cultural equity and now racial equity working group um, and this statement that we, we see before us. So we've done a lot of work over the last four years to bring the foundation of equity and infuse it throughout all of our agency. And um, this is the statement that Tom shared with the community on um, last week during the the open the town hall and it's all blurring together it's been we move very fast in community investments um and this was also one of our victories last year working with the community to remove the early day statute and so just to give you kind of a high level you know i want to um welcome you all to this committee. I'm very excited to see all of the new the new commissioners. We're a fun committee. Our um, commissioners that have been part of this committee for, for years are very dedicated, so you're joining a great crew. Um, and Mike, I also have a great crew that I work with. I have the pleasure of working with every day. Um, our, one of our newer positions is actually compliance officer. It's not a very sexy title. I like to call her the accountability champion. Um, but what she is doing is keeping kind of the, the wheels moving, um, handling kind of the, all of the state legislation things that we have to deal with and ensuring that we're supporting our grantees to um, be compliant. And then we also have program officers, and I'll, and I'll give you more of a background of, of their area of expertise. Um, but we are, we do have four additional program officers that handle um, additional areas in addition to senior program officer, Jack Bonino. And then we have three program associates that are the foundation of the work that we do. Um, we will, we are in the process of hiring um, another program associate. Um, and in that way, our program officers will each have that support team. Are they, are they here? 
Let's see, we have Anne Tricky, as you met earlier. Um, Lorena Moreno, who's one of our program associates. Kyle Chu, program associate. Molly Barron's compliance officer. And Debbie Ng, program officer. And so, Candace, of course. Sorry, Candace. Some of the things that we've been working on and, and our hope is over the next year with the um, introduction of the Arts Impact Endowment and what that results in in our activities, we'll have worked through a logic model that we've been working on over the past few years. What we started to do is kind of organize our work. Um, when I began um, almost five years ago, I was having a little bit of a challenge wrapping my head around who we're actually serving. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time within our staff kind of hammering out the beginning of the logic model, what our domains are, who we're actually serving and why, and then looking at some impact areas and strategies. And so this is just a very high level starting with the domains because the other components are inevitably going to, to shift and change a little bit as we focus in on the impact endowment. But really, it's five different areas. We serve youth through our um, arts education grant making. Um, we serve our individuals, which are both individual artists, teaching artists, as well as um, cultural workers, our administrative supports, who tend to also be artists in their spare time. We serve our small to mid-sized arts organizations. Um, we do have a budget cap, so within our normal grant making, the budget cap is a generally a $1.5 million budget, but through our creative space um, infrastructure grant, we go up to $2 million. So that ensures we're working to meet the equity along organizational size. We have what is called community or placekeeping, so that's where our cultural centers are housed um, and more of the um, kind of grants that aren't organizational specific. We have our artists and communities and partnership grants and um, the work that we're gonna start doing in partnership with other city agencies around cultural districts. That's where that falls into. And infrastructure, so looking at the needs of space, um, making sure that our facilities, particularly the cultural centers, are functioning and kind of identifying the needs of the community when it comes to infrastructure. Is there one that also has a cap on budget? Infrastructure, um, we have the Creative Space Grant, which has the cap of $2 million. So those are for the organizations that apply. But we have had instances where we've done kind of special grants to partners like the um, Northern California Community Loan Foundation, who we use as an intermediary, who then grants out to arts organizations. So that, that's some way that we did. We actually supported CAST several years ago. Um, so special projects like that that fall in there. And so more specifically, um, and to give you an idea, so our youth, um, that's our arts education, that is overseen by Liz Ozel, um, the arts education program officer. And we have the Writers Corps Teaching Artists in Residence program. So that used to be its own standing program um, that we merged. We've gone through several mergers over the past few years. So um, after we merged cultural Community Arts and Education with Cultural Equity Grant Making. We then also merged the Writers Corps program and transitioned it into a program, into a grants program. So we kind of took what it was and modified it to fit into a grants program. Um, we currently have six teaching artists who um, work at different schools and um, with marginalized communities to provide more intensive supports in literary arts. We have the Artists and Communities of Partnership Grant and Creative Youth Grant, and those are working with usually a community-based organization and an arts organization to help address 
a specific area of need um, to create an impact, kind of pushing the needle forward. For individuals, as um, you witnessed in the earlier program, we have the Street Artist License Program, which is unique in everything else that we do, and that's actually um, a, a program that we're overseeing as opposed to grants. Um, grants category, and then we have the Individual Artist Commission, which is a commission to artists to create new work up to $15,000 um, over a year period. For organizations, we have the organization project grants and the cultural equity initiatives. One is specifically uh, a project for an organization to implement a new piece of, or to either create a new or implement an existing um, art project and cultural equity initiatives, which is for organizations to build capacity. Um, community place, of course, we have, our, we have four cultural centers, actual buildings that we are responsible for, and the respective grantees that operate those four buildings. Plus, we have three virtual centers who, um, who are kind of, some have a place, some don't, and they do programming throughout the city. And just like in youth, we have an Arts and Communities Partnership, which is actually an arts organization working in partnership with a community-based organization, but more um, not specific to youth. And then infrastructure is a creative, creative space, which is both a planning um, and facility upgrade. Barbara, if I could just offer some context. So for commissioners new to the committee, um, when we did our five-year strategic plan in 2013, we really focused on a shift from direct programming. So we did a number of community-focused groups and surveys, and we heard some concern from grantees that we were seeing sometimes as a competitor in the space, uh, particularly with regards to youth arts. So to give some context, Writers' Corps is a nationally renowned program and did incredible work. However, we were actually seeking private foundation support to support the program, and we had youth coming into the office, and it, it was a little bit of a weird fit that we were a government agency that did grant making, and then we would be going out and finding funding for this really well-regarded program, but that was a bit of a, a mismatch in terms of our strategy. So in that strategic plan, we very clearly articulated the role of the Arts Commission as a government body, and we really focused on three main functions across the agency grant making, capacity building, so technical assistance, training, kind of community supports, and then, um, and then the third area is convening. So really bringing the community together as a role, um, as this kind of, you know, objective agency in which we could bring all parties related to arts and culture in the city together um, on various issues. So um, you'll see that represented now in our program activities and as Barbara mentioned, the shift in some of these areas to really be in those three buckets. So again, grant making, capacity building, which sometimes is grant making, but sometimes it's actually trainings or other community supports, and then the third area of convening. Um, I think, you know, as an agency, we do capital and infrastructure work both on the public art program and through grant making, so that infrastructure piece kind of straddles a number of programmatic areas of the Arts Commission, but I think that's helpful as I try to remember what our strategy lens is, is that we don't want to be competing with the organizations that we are helping serve and support through our grant making function, um, but it's a good kind of shift we've made in the last six years as we've progressed through that five-year plan and now are entering our two-year racial equity plan. And to back up a little bit, so, um, and Program Officer Ann Tricky oversees our Street Artist Licensing Program and is transitioning to also oversee our Individual Artist Commission, so she'll be holding kind of all of those supports, capacity building for that, that group. 
the organizational uh, program officer is Debbie Ng, so she oversees the organizational project grants, but also that capacity building, so looking at our cultural equity initiatives kind of deeply on how we best support organizations in that, that model. Um, community in place, that is Program Officer Robert Takayama, who's not um, here with us today, and uh, she's been with the Arts Commission for about 18 years, over helping support the Cultural Center Program. And infrastructure is now, now that we have a fully staffed um, program, which we were hobbled for about a year um, at about four people understaffed. So now we have enough people to actually oversee each one of these domains. So infrastructure is actually handled by the Senior Program Officer, Jaron Bonillo, who can then focus in on the trends and what's needed and how to support that more, uh, more, more deeply. And just kind of the grant making overview, it's basically everything with the exception of Street Artists program, because the Street Artists program is, it runs on its own revenue source. So they're, the, again, the only part of our program that is not grant, a grant making aspect. Um, but these are kind of our four buckets. Um, the cultural equity endowment is um, what is now under the hotel tax, or Prop E. And the four main um, grant categories are funded through that um, funding stream. The cultural centers has their own funding stream as well as some support through grants for the arts and that helps um, cover some of the maintenance and repair on the buildings as well as some general operating grants for um, all six and soon to be seven and as well as um, we do have a capital analyst on staff who kind of oversees the facility portion of that and, and advocates for funding through capital planning um, to help with larger infrastructure needs such as roofs and um, HVAC, things like that. Yes? Barbara, is that why we still have the blank line in the budget about the capital allocations? Are we still building that budget? I think Tom could probably speak to that better than I could. Yes, so we are in the, um, as we transition on to the hotel tax allocations designated by voters through Proposition E, again with 75% of voters in favor, um, I love to say that. Um, so we, we baseline $1.1 million of capital money for the four city-owned buildings that we own and operate and manage. So um, that was the last budget year capital allocation from the Capital Planning Committee. Um, we are hoping that the Capital Planning Committee will continue to support the larger, longer-term renewals on the buildings. Um, right now, we are in the process of conducting seismic assessments on all four city-owned buildings, so we have a longer-term vision about what very perhaps could be in some building significant improvements that will be needed. And it was never intended that Proposition E would be able to fund all capital in perpetuity for all four buildings. It was to set a baseline so that we would fund at least and have an, a baseline allocation of that 1.1 million. Um, so we're waiting to get those assessments back from, and we're working in partnership with the Department of Public Works on the four city-owned buildings. And then we will put placeholders in the 10-year capital plan for longer-term structural improvements on those buildings. So the fact that it wasn't in what we approved at the commission 
recently is not an impediment to it being um, added later, is that correct? Correct, yes, it's a rolling two-year budget, so those, um, there is a preference that the assessments, we did go back to capital planning and suggest maybe a placeholder number, um, but I do know most parties are interested in seeing the actual assessments um, that would be done to get a sense of what the dollar amount should be for year two of the city budget for the capital plan. Thank you. Um, and then we do have kind of a, an oddball bucket of, fund, of grants that we give that are funded through things like um, supervisor addbacks um, or through our general fund. So, and then we do have, and the next slide will show some of our, I believe, our funding streams. Um, and to clarify, the WCTA, that's the Writers' Corner Teaching Artists Artist Residency Program. <laughs> Thank you, that was going to be my question. <laughs> You'll be tested on, on these acronyms. Yeah. Sure. The Neighborhood, um, the neighborhood uh, uh, what is it, Neighborhood? Artists for Neighborhood Vitality. Yeah. Um, what we have done is work with grants for the arts since they do their neighborhood, the NAC grants, neighborhood. They have a pool of grantees that are the festivals, carnival, pride, right. neighborhood, large-scale neighborhood festivals. So that, that grant category was actually funded by Grants for the Arts. So what we did was we had a conversation about um, the feasibility of us continuing to execute those grants, knowing the cost that, for our staff time to do that. And it made more sense for them just to add that back to their pool because their, their recipients were 99% the same as ours. So the few people that weren't in their pool we've work, we're working with to make sure they can get into the organizational project grant, which is actually a larger amount. So just didn't, for efficiency reasons, we decided to, um, to to send that back to them. Those are smaller grants. Those are like, what, $1,000? They were 3000 per $3, year. We, we increased it to $5,000. Um, we, we saw a reduction in the number of people who applied. And the amount of time it took to apply to that was not worth the, the amount of money that they were receiving. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of this um, last fiscal year, the amount of grant making that out the door was approximately 11 million. And you can kind of see how that is broken down through the three different buckets. And it's, I think in my time, since I started when we were still kind of working to merge, um, the budget that I was working with was 1.9 million. So since then and now, we've received additional income or you know more support through community advocacy. We've our um, addbacks for supervisors range around a million dollars annually. Um, so we've seen an increase of funding that's coming to us, um, and we just keep growing. And I think it's important to note that that growth all happened before Proposition E. Yes. So um, the most significant allocation was under Mayor Lee, there was a million dollar increase to the cultural equity endowment, which was a 50% increase to the long-standing 1.9 million base. So that was probably the most significant increase. Um, and then I think it's a real testament to the city's commitment to arts and culture to see such significant dollars coming through the, the supervisorial addbacks. Um, as Barbara mentioned, it's been ranging between a million to even as high as a million, 1.5 million coming to us. And these are the special grants that are designated in the budget process by individual members of the Board of Supervisors or sometimes through the whole board for a citywide initiative. Right. Yeah, and I would um, just say that the, the city also has four cultural centers. So for um, the new commissioners, 
um, the, the art centers that they have. If you can go tour them, um, it's some arts, it's um, the Opera House, Bayview Opera House, it's um, the African American Cultural Center, and there's one in the Mission. And you can go look at them, tour them. I did that with Miss um, Mummy's predecessor, right. Judy, and um, it's really worth doing because it's it's amazing the breadth of, of um, services that uh, these these places house, and the city funds them all. So, I, mean, I would be happy to schedule a time with all of you. The the appointment to the committee happens so quickly. I apologize, we haven't had an opportunity to really sit down and onboard you properly. So this is kind of our, our first attempt to do that. But I am available and would be happy to reach out to three of you to schedule a time uh, to tour several or one of ones of your choice. And I'll just add that the two virtual, two of the three virtual cultural centers without a, a physical building uh, are sub-grantees, and you're going to see that in motions before you today. So the Queer Cultural Center is a sub-grantee of the African American Arts and Culture Complex, and the Asian Pacific Islander Cultural Center is a sub-grantee of SOMARTS. So their grants are included in those uh, larger grants um, as a sub-grantee, and then those uh, primary nonprofits function as the fiscal sponsors. Um, and the American Indian Cultural Center, the funds dedicated for that, well, Barbara, you could explain the, the strategy, but those funds have been granted out competitively for a number of years, and it is our goal to build capacity in the community and support them in the uh, funding of a cultural center. But Barbara, you wanted to add anything to that? Um, I think there's a slide I can, I can talk about that more. And so just an overview, kind of high level of our funding sources. So we have multiple funding sources that underwrite these programs. Um, first and foremost is the hotel tax, um, which covers cultural equity endowment, the cultural centers fund, and the new arts impact endowment, which we do have half of the money in our budget this year. Um, and the full allocation will happen starting July 1. And those that will vary from year to year. So we don't have we have some projections, but the actuals we won't have until the budgets are passed. Barbara, can you for the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families, those were five-year funds for many of the organizations. How long is the funding cycle for DCYF? So we're a little different than the than the large um, RFPs that they've done for the five years. This is just a year-to-year grant that we have from them that is approximately 180,000 that actually underwrites the Writers Corps program. So it's been ongoing. They, they funded it while it was an end of it, its own standing program and they've maintained their commitment to supporting it. So there's no particular jeopardy? No. Um, and I am noticing that we should probably also have added the San Francisco Public Library to this. Yes, so, and I apologize. So along with DCYF, um, the San Francisco Public Library also underwrites the Writer's Corps program at about $200,000 a year. So it's a blended source of funding for the arts education group of, of, of programs that we have, including the Municipal Transit Agency, who underwrites the um, Where Art Lives, which is a graffiti abatement program and supports some of our administrative costs. Um, and DBW as well. What about the ad banks? What do those fall under? Those are the special grants. So th those would um, those vary every year, so they're not a consistent source of funds, and they're for a one-time project. So that would be general fund, basically. General fund. Mm -hmm. Is that evenly um, throughout the districts, or is there one district that's more 
there are districts that are more um, prone to doing ad backs. There are districts that are more prone to doing the particip participatory budget process. Um, so you'll see we'll have participatory budgets from one or two districts, whereas we'll have a larger investment from certain supervisors depending on their area of interest. Um, so it is um, usually we do have the annual ones from District 1 usually pretty consistently. Um, this past year we had quite a few from District 9 and then generally it's District 5 that we get quite a few um, supervisor at backs. And then of course we have the artist license revenue which um, underwrites a portion of the cost of that program but as the um, testimony shared that the program has reduced the number of artists so, so we do backfill that quite a bit with our general fund money to support that program. And so as Tom alluded to um, and what has our, this commission has, or this committee has talked about before um, is supporting through the equity lens the Native community a little bit more intentionally um, and also through a generous um, contribution through our uh, colleague Jill Manton through the Public Art Trust who had some additional resources to program the Civic Center area. Um, and also to build momentum after the removal of the early days statue, we're going to be launching a, a special initiative this year. And part of that is to launch, officially launch the American Indian Cultural Center, um, which they're working on some, I've given them kind of a long list of scope to complete by July 1 so that they can be an official member of the Cultural Center program. And we hope that in June we'll kind of have a, a a fanfare launch of this initiative and kind of a, a blue, a red, yellow ribbon cutting of the launch of the cultural center, possibly at the Exploratorium. So that'll be something that we would invite all the commissioners to, city department heads, as well as the community at large to kind of celebrate the rolling out of this larger scale initiative and that, that um, progress they've made. But um, the most immediate is um, we've heard throughout the whole year of the process of how are we going to continue educating the community when there's a void and in, in where the statute was, was sitting. So what we will be doing is a series of photo shoots on the plinth. Um, we're engaging leaders from the Native American community to come in groupings, curated groupings, um, where they'll be have their photo portraits taken on the plinth. Those four portraits will then be part of a larger citywide exhibit um, and used in the marketing for all these other events that will happen. Um, Jill Manton is really excited to have those photos 3D mapped and hopefully projected. The, the goal is City Hall. Financially, it may be the library and the agent. We, we have hope. Um, and then um, the, there'll be a series of events that are activities that we fund regardless that will be part of a kind of a larger marketing plan. Um, but this is the 50th year anniversary of the takeover of Alcatraz. It's also the 50th year anniversary of the Exploratorium. Mm -hmm. It's the 48th anniversary of the American Indian Film Festival and the year anniversary of Indigenous Peoples Day and the removal of the statue. So kind of all of that culminating at Fulton Mall. Um, so there'll be a series of events, but the big one will be the Arts Festival on Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, we're working in partnership with the library, um, OEWD, um, and the airport and the exploratorium. We're, we're continuing to cast that net out to get as much engagement as we can. 
And um, then what that will do is kick off a series of weekly activations of the plant. We'll be rolling out uh, requests for proposals of artists. And because it is supported by the Public Art Trust, we're able to go nationwide to engage um, artists from all over to come and um, imagine how they would educate the community on identity in public art at least one day a week. Um, and so those will be a series of events which will end with the culmination of the um, Alcatraz. Commemorative events will take place both at, on Alcatraz and at a location here in the city. So October and November will be jam-packed. We're working with the libraries. They do their programming as well and um, hope to have a very comprehensive plan that will then start with the launch of the American Indian Cultural Center. Um, that work, we've been there. The Cultural Center used to be part, or the American Indian Cultural Center used to be part of the larger Cultural Center program as a virtual. There was some challenges with it back in 2008, and um, the nonprofit folded, and we used the money that we invested and created a grants program. So there was the Native American Arts and Cultural and Traditions Grants Program. We were finding, as I came on and assessed it, that the community's desire was to have a cultural center, physical place reinstated. Um, and the grants program I didn't feel was really meeting the needs of the community and what they were wanting. So I've been working with a group of community members to build a capacity to create a 501c3. Um, they have a, a board that's very, very excited. Um, and it's um, working on getting some permanent staff to help, help support that work. And so um, it's been a while, it's taken a while to get to this point, but there, I have faith that we'll be cutting a ribbon in June. So maybe not an actual space, it'll be a virtual ribbon, but it'll be cut. So um, that is kind of a larger special initiative that we're working on right now. And through that, at that point, I will pass it over to Tom. Great, thank you, Barbara. Um, so. Can I ask you a question? And you, you may actually be covering this in this section, but it might be helpful for particularly the New York commissioners too to understand the where there's differences and also alignment between grants for the arts and the arts commission. Because I, as a commissioner, get a lot of questions in the community about like, well, what does grants for the arts do? And so I feel like by virtue of our roles, like we're going to have to be answering that. So it might be helpful to just maybe give a. a Yes, I can do that now because it's a great introduction as we go into the Arts Impact Endowment, which is to be jointly administered by the Arts Commission and Grants for the Arts. Um, so the Grants grants for the Arts um, has been around for, oh my goodness, 40... Something like that. Something like that. Uh, 40 plus years. 19, well, actually, 19, 50 years, I think. They're 50 years since they were founded. Um, and Grants for the Arts model historically is to offer general operating grants annually to organizations of all arts and culture organizations with a three-year-plus track record in San Francisco, and they support arts organizations of all budget sizes. And their model has been to allocate general operating resources up to 20% of the organization's budget. Um, and so they look at a budget formula in which they're offering general operating support never to exceed 20% of a total organization's budget. Um, obviously, it's much smaller for larger budget institutions. Um, so it could be as little as 5% or 3% to a large budget institution um, like SF MoMA or the ballet or opera. Um, but then they can fund up to 20% of an organization's budget. 
Um, the idea is that the general operating gives those organizations flexibility in their programming and their operational um, investments. And the um, tie historically have been to the hotel tax, and so the idea is also to have it be publicly accessible. Um, so they've you know, really focused on organizations with a three plus year track record in San Francisco. Um, so it is in, under the jurisdiction of the city administrator, who's currently Naomi Kelly, and you have all got to see Naomi speak at our um, town hall last Wednesday, so thank you all for being there, and we're so grateful that Naomi could join us as well as Mayor Breed. Um, and now we have the Arts Impact Endowment, so we actually, for the first time, will have a more formal legislative relationship, and that we are jointly to administer this together um, with both the Arts Commission's approval and the city administrator's approval. Um, historically, we've worked ordered resources to each other depending on certain initiatives, so as was mentioned in the prior slides, uh, Grants for the Arts does uh, continue to work order 442000 to the Cultural Centers Program to help pay for those general operating grants to the city-owned cultural centers and virtual cultural centers. Um, and then they had historically for a long time work ordered money for the art at, um, Arts and Neighborhood Vitality Program, which uh, Director Mumby just explained, we will now return to them and they will administer as a part of their general festivals funding. Um, and we work together on numerous initiatives, specifically, I think, probably most prominently around um, space affordability. So Carrie, the former director of Grants for the Arts who retired last Friday, uh, Carrie Shulman, would, we would meet as a um, team monthly, so our grants team and uh, leadership from the grants team and the Grants for the Arts team would meet monthly to discuss issues related to um, shared grantee displacement or shared grantees capacity building. Um, and we've partnered on certain investments, including funding to the Community Arts Stabilization Trust, as well as to the Northern California Community Loan Fund to provide technical assistance support for nonprofit organizations facing displacement. So we've worked together on all those special initiatives, and we're excited to get to work more closely with Matthew Godot, the new director of Rants for the Arts, who was introduced at the town hall last week. Um, we have a long history of working with him at the Arts Commission. Um, in his role as deputy chief of protocol, we've worked on a lot of special projects, most recently the World Cities Culture Summit this last November, um, but we work on a lot of international affairs and special projects uh, with consulates and uh, cultural exchange programs, and they've been a very generous partner on the sister city uh, cultural exchanges that the galleries program does every other year uh, between one of our 18 sister cities in San Francisco. Um, so we're excited to get to work with Matthew in that new role um, and, and jump right in in terms of how we're going to um, strategize related to the arts impact endowment. So that's a great segue into um, a bit of a recap. So I, I believe most of you or all of you were there um, at the town hall. So you've seen this information presented by our senior racial equity and policy analyst, Dr. Ang Tang Dao Shah, who is on vacation this week. But we just wanted to recap um, the community engagement methodology for um, the Arts Impact Endowment. So um, we did conduct an online poll and then administered that poll in seven different open house settings. Um, and so we had over 2,800 people reply to the poll, which was available in four languages over three weeks. 
Um, we also conducted seven open houses in neighborhoods across the city. Um, here we have a photo of one of those open houses with Commissioner Parker Pennington um, at Auntie April's in the Baby neighborhood. Um, but we had 400 participants um, at various locations throughout the city, including the Richmond District Neighborhood Center, um, Auntie April's in the Bayview, uh, the Chinese Culture Center in Chinatown, um, and other locations. And then one youth-focused um, uh, focus group at the Ruth Isawa School of the Arts, where we had 15 youth participate. Um, we also did three mapping activities for um, longtime stakeholders and repeat grantees of the Arts Commission, and we did that in partnership with Grants for the Arts, and so we had some other longstanding grantees participate in those um, more focused mapping activities. And then we also received uh, 47 email submissions, including um, nine formal responses from network associations like Arts for a Better Bay Area, the Arts Education Alliance of the Bay Area, um, Dancers Group, Theater Bay Area, and the Arts Service Organizations. So um, some really substantive input over the um, multiple week community engagement. Uh, that concluded just recently last Wednesday with our town hall, which was incredibly well attended. I think we had over 550 people fill the Herbst Theater, so we were thrilled with that uh, turnout as well. Um, so here's the poll results. Um, so as I mentioned, over 2,800 people completed the poll. Um, and we had it available online, but then also administered it in multiple languages in the open house set settings. Um, and here you can see really, by far and away, uh, uh, the public response really was in favor of the two arts education or youth arts um, poll options. Uh, the most popular was provide out of school arts education. Uh, the second most popular, just with a few less votes, was the support of teaching artists to better serve youth. Um, and I really try to remind people that here you can see the intersectionality between the individual artist supports and arts education. So while we are proposing an allocation structure that has distinct buckets, I think it's also important to remember that there is potential for significant overlap between uh, what those different buckets might support. Um, and then third, at a very high level, we saw a great amount of response for protecting and sustaining space for arts and culture, and I would really emphasize the affordability of space. Um, and then the fourth uh, highest response was to foster proactive and sustainable arts nonprofits. Um, and then you can see the other responses as well. Um, and then in terms of the qualitative data through emails and the mapping activities, as well as uh, the open houses and focus groups, um, we coded, or I should say, our <laughs> that on coded, um, what things emerged most regularly in those submissions. Um, and so you can see that the coding by numbers of people who mentioned various um, subject areas. So the highest here was the affordable access to arts for youth. It's followed in second place by space and capital funding, then core support, which we interpret to be core general operating support or support that's flexible for use. Um, and then we continue to hear a call for affordable housing for artists. And there are some other suggestions that emerged as well. So this is what we presented to you based on that data and to the public um, last Wednesday at the town hall um, as the proposed um, or suggested allocation buckets. 
Um, now, as a reminder, we have a baseline of $2.5 million in the first year of the Arts Impact Endowment, although it's looking like the controller's projections might be as much as $2.7 million. Um, and rather than say a dollar amount for each bucket, we're going to recommend percentages because these allocated, the total dollar allocation is going to change every year based on the hotel tax revenues. Um, so the numbers are going to always change and it'll probably be a very complicated number that doesn't easily round up because it's going to be based on true revenues, but that's um, intended to grow and that's the hope and we do believe that the historic data will show that the hotel tax revenue tends to grow at, the, at least the very rate of the consumer price index um, of 3.4% or more. Um, so this is the recommendation that was presented to the public at the town hall on February 6th. Um, we did take feedback um, for these recommendations as well as I answered a number of questions live at the event. Um, I, I think we saw some, some questions as well as a significant number of cards and feedback that were questioning just, I think overall we got the sense that people felt this was a good direction, that this was a, a appropriate set of allocations. Um, and I'll ask Barbara to chime in here, but in our first review of the, the cards and the feedback, but then also emails and verbal feedback that I received anecdotally, is, is wondering if, one, the space capital funding is big enough to have an impact, given the challenges and costs of affordable um, space in the city and how much it would take to actually either acquire or conduct construction um, given the rise in construction costs in the city. Um, and then there was a lot of feedback about wondering how this arts education allocation would relate to existing arts education allocations, um, primarily the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families allocations, of which there are two of the children's funds. So there is the work order to the San Francisco Unified School District for sports, libraries, arts, and music. And then there is the actual grant making that was mentioned earlier by Commissioner Collins, which is the five-year cycle that the Department of Children, Youth, and Families issues with regards to their children's needs assessment. Um, they just issued their RFP last year and awarded grants for the five-year cycle. Um, and we saw a historic amount of money funding arts and culture um, through the Department of Children, Youth, and Families. So a few comments did comment about the fact that there was a desire to see more clarity about whether what arts education would fund in relationship to existing public investment in arts education to make sure there wasn't duplication and that equity was a clear, a clear focus for um, for our investments. Um, and it seemed to be, uh, some people did mention, perhaps is that a too large of an allocation in relationship to space capital funding and individual artist supports. So that's something I think for this group to consider um, as we move forward with a recommendation to the full commission. So um, we are hoping today to maybe discuss that a little bit and get your thoughts as commissioners because we are going to be putting forward a final draft plan for a motion uh, and considered a vote at the March 4th full commission meeting. So I don't know if people want to chime in on that now. I, I do. Uh, I have a couple of comments, questions. So space capital funding. Um, so when you talk about construction and acquisition and, and things like that, right? Very capital intensive, very challenging market. Um, so right, 30% and, and 
my first thought was that are the cultural spaces that are existing now the four is that part of that bucket and then what's left after that amount um, so this is the arts and arts endowment so just to keep in mind this is yeah, completely yeah. separate than the cultural center right. bucket and or the cultural equity endowment bucket of which each of those has got a projected growth so there's five hundred thousand new dollars at the base of the cultural center allocation and 600,000 at the base of the cultural equity endowment. Um, we do plan to come back to you with some thoughts and recommendations for those, um, but we are prioritizing the arts impact endowment because of the March uh, deadline for the cultural services allocation plan, which has a legislative deadline, for kind of forcing our hand to, to move quickly and putting that forward to you all at the March 4th full commission. Okay. So this would not include not the cultural center's cultural need, or right. capital needs. Yeah, so I guess the other thing, you know, to your point before about the five-year strategic plan and not being service providers, right? So if we're talking about space, then how do you administer that space? And then my next question about arts education, I'm reminded of, um, you know, this is an ongoing conversation within this group about um, arts education, but also arts education, like what they're doing at the um, Bayview Opera House with jobs and mentor, um, What's the training. workforce training. development? Yeah, workforce, workforce yes, development. exactly, and, and um, almost apprenticeships, right, within within the arts trades, um, that are that could be a great part of that that isn't overlapping into. I'd like to focus on that in, in terms of arts education. Um, mm -hmm. That's just. And also, I think that that ties into what we've already talked about, and that is the relationship with the San Francisco Unified School District. Mm -hmm. So I think at some point in time we can have perhaps a focused conversation around yeah. that. Right, and what Tom, what we haven't gotten to here yet is what we're still working out, um, both with staff and the city attorney. Is what's next? I mean, we have a percentage right. allocation, but then what is that? What is it exactly funding? And so, um, as Tom explained at the town hall, is that we're going to whatever we have to define it as a panel or a working group. Convening, convening experts without conflicts for each of those buckets to then determine to look in deeper at the qualitative data that we've received around priorities the community has on funding things like tech and AV, training programs for youth. Um, so that, that's the next aspect of it. Um, and then also to kind of back up a little bit, my intent is to do something similar with the other two buckets as well. So um, as we wrap up the impact endowment, then we're going to hopefully engage in a cultural center kind of strategic plan, because that has never been done in its 40 plus years. Um, and then taking a deep look at how the parameters and how the framework, how that's been functioning, and how we can use this as an opportunity to, to really think deeply and, and make some changes. And then cultural equity. So we, we did do something similar almost five years ago. So my intent was every five years, we kind of do a, a community engagement strategic planning for that. So this perfect timing It's just, you know, do one after the other. We can't do it all at once. Do, do we have any, uh, I don't know, input on the percentages here? I'm a little shocked that so much was left, or so little for individual artists um, and, and, I, I think and more for education kind of, uh, 
leaves. Okay. So it's very small yeah. for individual artists. Speaking from an individual artist. Too. Yeah, but someone has to say something because. Yeah, I, I mean, Tom just, has received that feedback, yeah. and I think that's Tom's question to all yeah. of you is about the allocation, how realistic does it look? And also think that about the intersectionality between the three, the four buckets, because as he was outlining, an individual artist may also be a teaching artist. So there could be that that ten percent may actually be larger depending on how the actual activities fall out or fall in place. The same with space and funding, because that could very well be space and housing for individual artists or cultural workers within organizations. So there's a lot of intersectionality to think about. So I think until we actually see what the actual things we're funding are, mm -hmm. you know, there's some wiggle room at least within that. Well, my question is, do we know? Who filled out the? <laughs> well, it's based upon the the ranking. So, knowing that arts education was by far the top two ranked in the poll and the mapping coding, um, that it, this was kind of proportionate to how the rankings fell. Yeah, and I think we saw this actually in the property polling as well. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that more people see the value in the youth investment because I think, frankly, more people have children than maybe have a direct relationship as a working artist, just demographically speaking. So when property did polling, um, youth services was by far in the way, 10 to 1, the top message for why people would want to support Prop E. Um, and it's, it's not to say that all these things aren't important and that we have the difficult task before us of allocating, but uh, two case studies I just would posit as a com kind of to complicate how we look at these allocations. So as Barbara mentioned, our next step is to convene working groups of experts in each of these areas. There's nothing to say that the arts education bucket, if it were left at 40%, or we could choose to, to discuss that allocation. But that's a million, let's say it's 2.5 million in year one, which would be a million dollars for arts education. There's nothing to say that we couldn't dedicate a quarter of a million to supporting teaching artists in, as individuals and still be meeting the goal of arts education, right? Because the teaching artists would be the workforce that we know are the front line in, um, in arts education particularly for out-of-school time and summer programming. So that's kind of one way to look at it, is that it doesn't preclude us from funding individual artists or individual teaching artists to meet both the goal of arts education, but also the support for working artists in the city. Um, and then conversely, space and capital funding at 30,000, or pardon me, at 30%, would be about 875,000 or 850 um, annually in the first year's allocation. But there's nothing to say that we couldn't use that money to fund an arts education space, right? So we could, um, you have, um, say, at the Geneva Car Barn, the primary tenant there is going to be performing arts workshop. It's going to be a youth space. And so we could consider, and, you know, and we have throughout the history of our creative space grant making funded a number of arts education organizations. In fact, performing arts workshop, I believe, is an active grantee for the Geneva Car Barn project. So, so this is where it gets a little complicated because we've yet to get into the guidelines development that would really hone each allocation bucket. However, we do need to have some parameters as we go forward so that each working group is working with some bucket of resources that is finite and clear, and so we can plan accordingly. So I think it's it's open to, to us for discussion of, Barbara, you wanted to add anything else before others? Yeah, and I think some of the things we've been thinking about as well is that within the, um, the allocation plan, some sort of parameter around a, a deviation each year. Like each bucket may deviate five, up to 
half a percentage or something like that. So there is some flexibility and wiggle room in that knowing. We don't know now what is going to happen three years from now if there is a, a, an act of God and, and we may need to, maybe arts education is the priority that space is because we need to mitigate something around that. So, I mean, we're trying to figure out language that gives us as much flexibility as we can within the plan and knowing that each year we'll probably revisit, probably bring it to this committee to revisit the impact and, and, and if there's mm. some shifting we need to do. And, and just as a reminder, in addition to your approval as commissioners, we also need Naomi Kelly's approval as the city administrator. So what we would do is, you know, any feedback you all have today, we would want to take back to her, kind of get her input on it. Um, because what comes before you on March 4th, given our timeline, we need to also make sure that she has approved that and that we have grants for the arts kind of agreement in, in moving forward. So to clarify what you're, what you're looking um, from us to provide you is a sense of whether these percentages, if, if we're kind of headed in the right direction, if there needs to be some shifting. Yes, like and this, this is the question on the table, right. um, and it's for all of you to comment on, and we would love your guidance as we, we prepare to come back to you with more formal. We will, on the, for the March 4th full commission meeting, our goal would be to have for you a draft 20 page plan that'll have an intro by myself and Matthew Godot, the director of grants for the arts, an overview of the methodology for the community engagement for posterity's sake so we can document how and who commented in what ways. And then the appendix will include a lot of the, the network submissions. So we have very specific submissions from some networks asking for arts education or asking for individual artist supports. So those will all be attached as appendices to that plan. Um, but we really, the, the main focus would be to have the commission focus on these allocations as a percentage for the annual allocations for well, fundamentally grant making, but these funds could be used for capacity building or technical assistance and or other support. Polly, so I, I guess one of the questions I have is, uh, this is sort of compared to what? I mean, what was the allocation previously? I mean, we're talking about new money, um, but I don't know what we've been doing in the past and how that might be different in this. Um, so historically, um, through our grant making, arts education has been the least funded. So in a lot of ways, this allocation is actually an equity lens because when we did receive the additional million dollar allocation several years back, the majority of that went to individual artist support. So it does kind of reflect a reverse of our investment to, to, to provide parity in that way. Does that answer? And this plan is for a period of time. It would be the five-year period from approval. So and is it subject to a re annual review? We, we're going to get clarity from the city attorney how much flexibility we have. So the legislation requires the Arts Commission and City Administrator to approve a five-year cultural services allocation plan. We definitely believe that should have some vehicle for annual review, evaluation, and assessment. And the question is to what leverage we would have to adjust it uh, after the annual evaluation. Right, so somewhere behind this has to be our theory of change, right? Like what impacts are we engineering towards? And how do we hold ourselves accountable? So I think, I think a part of the plan, we are, I'm sure you will address the data that will be behind each one of these highs and what the objectives are. For example, in arts education, we intend to have what impact? 
on wet populations through the lens of our strategic plan and our racial equity plan, because we do have guiding documents. I mean, I think what Commissioner Shelby is saying is that the other planning that we have done, you know, the strategic plan, which is prior to Prop E, still is living in there, and we have not abandoned that. And I think that that's where the sausage making over the next few weeks is going to happen as we look at now the new mandates that happen by virtue of Prop E, but also with the background of our strategic plan and our racial equity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the process that we're proposing is our way of buying time in order to do a little deeper thinking because the, the timeline is so truncated that ideally we would have the time to do a deeper planning, looking at impacts and having those measurable evaluative tools in place. So by doing this type of allocation percentage bucket, then going back to, a work, to working groups, um, that buys us that time to do some of the deeper thinking to create a, a more comprehensive plan. Um, when you look at what DCYF has created, it's pretty comprehensive, but they spent one to two years on that plan. So I mean, we're kind of putting the cart before the horse based on it. And also even plan. within the DCYF funding, because it was over a five-year period, mm -hmm. they recognized that in the first initial years was capacity building, right? You can't have the impact that you're looking for until you develop the capacity to have that impact. And then you hold yourself accountable to it over a period of time. And that gave logic to, one, why they had that longer planning period, and two, why it was for five years. Because the money gets spent differently during the period of time that it is actually allocated. So I think that's mm -hmm. the complexity of this commission is that um, it, it, it's, uh, it actually has to have a certain living characteristic to it. And the annual review is extremely important. Because then, how do we know what we're doing? Right. 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 That was going to be my question, was is there any flexibility within that allocation at any given point within the five-year period? So well, I would ask that as well, like the one-year review. If, if, possible by the city administrator, then that would be nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll want the city administrator's uh, buy-in and input, but we also, I think, get the city attorney's opinion as to what flexibility we would have around allocations. To me, it seems like it makes sense to make sure that we give ourselves that flexibility given we want to be responsive, right? So yeah. um, I, I think I don't see any real legal barrier as to why we couldn't have, say, flexibility to reallocate these you know, buckets after a year investment or a year review or further research. I will also say one other step before now in March 4th is we are going to be convening a meeting of local private philanthropy because we also feel it's important to look at what gaps exist in the funding for arts and culture in the whole ecology, not just public funding. Obviously, uh, public funding is just one piece of the broader investments in arts and culture. So we've invited every San Francisco uh, philanthropist that is a member of the Arts Loan Fund, uh, which is a pretty significant membership of private philanthropy, including the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, the Walter and Elise Haas Fund, Correct. Um, Raymond, um, I forget who else that's included. Yeah. Uh, California Humanities, I believe, is being invited. Uh, Gerbodi. Um, and will California the Lawyers for the Arts be invited? Um, they're not a philanthropic. We're only inviting those um, organizations that are making investments. Yeah. California Lawyers for the Arts was included in some of the other um, engagement open houses and such. 
And we're also thinking by convening this group, not only could they potentially be a partner in the working group conversation, but it's also a way for us to figure out ways to leverage funds um, within the buckets to, and also identify the needs they're seeing. Um, it would be really great if they would also have a commitment because what some people are concerned or what we've seen a trend is that once the city invests more, private philanthropy tends to pull out. So we're trying to find ways to ensure their, their continued engagement and commitment. This, we've seen this very explicitly, actually, with private philanthropies move to the East Bay um, and divestment in San Francisco. Not to say there's not great need in the East Bay, but I think we don't want to present any unintended, unintended impacts in the broader funding ecology um, by, say, making a significant investment in a new area that might supplant some existing investments. Is that the report? That is, well, the next steps I, I kind of got ahead to her Barbara's thing, but her Barbara's remarks. Um, but I would go back to the allocation buckets. Um, I think we are hearing a clear tension around, I mean, as Commissioner Shelby um, noted, we've heard some individuals feedback from the town hall that the individual artists support at 10% may be too little. We've heard this, I've heard similar feedback on space and capital funding given the cost of any one investment. I mean, $850,000 doesn't get you much in terms of capital these days in San Francisco, sadly. Um, other parts of the country, it's not an insignificant amount, but in San Francisco, that's not even the price of a one-bedroom condo. Um, so if we wanted that to go towards, say, even affordable artist housing supports and all the rehearsal spaces and visual arts studios that we're challenged by, that could be considered a pretty small allocation. Um, and arts education, uh, I think while we see great polling support for it, the question really is, how does this relate to all the larger investments that are happening through the Children's Fund particularly, but also private philanthropy? Uh, I think it, it does really help finally give us a substantial um, bucket of resources in youth arts and arts education. And I know we've struggled with this as a commission, that the Arts Commission just has not been able to meet outcomes in this area because of limited funding. And really, our investments have been restricted to the Writers' Core grants and to the um, very modest ACIP Creative Youth grants, which I don't think, I think we don't in any given year grant out more than $250,000 to arts education. So, uh, I mean, that's a rough, yeah. rough estimate, but. Well, certainly, I think that as Commissioner Shiota was saying, furthering conversations that we have, is that if our definition of what the arts are also include um, the craft behind art, and the, the um, theater arts, and, and other production resources and sound and light and other technologies, that the definition of arts education can can be expanded and also deal with a fundamental issue of workforce in our city, especially through the lens of equity and how young people in this city need to have paths towards careers that are sustainable and that our economy kind of depends on. So I think there's a huge opportunity here and I hope that some of our prior conversations really do come into the thinking. I'm sure it will, but we just making that point. And I'm almost thinking that a pie is not the appropriate Diagram, and it's more like a Venn diagram where there's the crossover mm -hmm. that we need yeah, to be looking yes, at. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, and you will be able to use DCYF data to be able to get to some specificity about our grant making, their grant making, and how it, you know, what to address this issue about 
you know, crossover potentially, you know. Absolutely. I think the challenge is actually doing that in a substantive and thoughtful way by March 4th. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we really feel like we need the working group period, and we are hoping to map that out into the process. Um, realistically, our grant cycle, for those of you familiar with it, is that the grant guidelines are typically issued every August with deadlines from late October to mid-November. You know, and I think our thinking is to give ourselves that time in producing these guidelines over the next few months. We heard loud and clear from the community that they would like more opportunity for input to kind of fine tune. I mean, these buckets are very general to our conversation today. So I think the working groups would give us a chance to more substantively look at the data from other funding entities. Um, we know, for instance, the William Flora Hewlett Foundation funds a lot of arts education in San Francisco. We can ask our private philanthropic partners for their data. It'd be kind of good to map it out to see where we could fill in gaps and to make sure particularly that we're aligning it with our racial equity goals and, and supporting equity in the broader ecology. Um, and I think it, it's just going to take some time to pool that data. Now that we've got some polling sense of where things are headed, I mean, we had to shape it with some public uh, input. But now I think we're going to want to dive deeper from a more public policy perspective in looking at the data. And I, and I think our, our intent was knowing that the, the truncated timeline of how long it actually takes to do a deep evaluative study and looking at data is that we could potentially also use the next year or so to do that work with the flexibility to course correct when we have clear clarity on that and we see the impacts. Um, so it's, I don't think it's either or. I think there's an expectation that we get some funding out based on the community recommendation, but simultaneously we could allocate resources to do that deeper, long-range evaluative study. Um, which I think we need to do regardless. We haven't really done that within our grant making. So I, I think it could be both. And right. I think we could do both. We could start getting some out, knowing we have flexibility to course correct, and then using this time to, to be more educated about what we're doing. Is that your report? That is our report. Is there any public comment on this report? Seeing none. Thank you for your report. May we now move to item number five on the agenda? Number four. I'm sorry, number four on the agenda, which is the cultural center cost of living adjustments. Um, are there any refusals on item number four? Uh, Commissioner Collins, I would ask that the committee allow my recusal on the motion pertaining to the Queer Cultural Center as the Queer Cultural Center rents space from my employer, the SF LGBT Center, and that may pose a financial conflict of interest for me, so I will not participate in any discussion or potential decision on that motion. So may I then uh, read this as follows. The action is a motion to provide the 2019 fiscal year cost of living adjustment COLA increase for the uh, of $18,421.86 to the African American Art and Culture Complex, AAACC. Um, um, and also to exclude for the purpose of this motion the reference to the Career Cultural Center. Um, 
Well, we actually need to, we can take this action since uh, Commissioner Ornia, President Ornia has stepped out. Um, we do need to take it as one because the Queer Cultural Center is a sub-grant. So, and we'll do everything for it, okay. Yes, so, the, but we, so this motion has to be taken in its, in it's in their entirety, okay. So the uh, up to there, and uh, $15,032 to AAACC, and $3,006.54 increase to the subgrantee Queer Cultural Center, QCC, and authorize the uh, Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into a grant agreement not to exceed $690,084 at this time and 577476 to AAACC and 112608 to QCC. May I have a motion? I mean, so, so, is there a second to the motion? Is there any discussion on the motion? Is there any public comment on the motion? Seeing none, may I call for the motion, please? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? None opposed. Thank you. Motion carries. The second is an action, um, a motion to provide a 2019 fiscal year cost of living adjustment COLA increase of $9,691.35 to the Bayview Opera House and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into a grant agreement not to exceed $363,040 at this time. So, Commissioner Collins, I'm going to need to recuse myself on this one. And uh, does that mean I need to leave? Or, um, and your, yes. And your refusal is? Yeah. Um, also, for the, the city attorney recommends if you could state the conflict for the record. Oh, the conflict is that um, the, the Baby Opera House is my client on the strategic plan. OK, thank you. You were so recused. Um, you've heard the action. May I have a motion, please? So moved. Is there a second to the motion? Second. Is there any discussion on this motion? Is there any public discussion, any public question? Seeing none, may I call for the motion, please? All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Seeing none, the motion carries. The third um, action, motion to provide a 2019 fiscal year cost of living adjustment, COLA increase of $16,259.26 to Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts and authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into a grant agreement not to exceed $609,134 at this time. May I have, is there any discussion on this action? May I hear a motion, please? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Any further public comment or questions? May I call for the motion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Hearing none, motion carries. The next is a motion to provide the fiscal 2019 a cost of living adjustment COLA increase of 21,000 $174.53 to Somart's Cultural Center and $18,167.99 to Somart's and $3,006.54 to Subgrantee Asian Pacific Islander Cultural Center, APICC, and to approve an additional $20,000 to provide third-party organization support and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into a grant agreement not to exceed 
$303 at this time, and $695,000 to SOMARTS, and $112,608 to APICC. Um, is there any discussion on this action? May I hear a motion, please? Second. Is there a second to the motion? Second. Is there any public comment? Seeing none, I call the motion. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Seeing none, the motion carries. Number five, San Francisco Art Commission review panels. The action is discussion possible motion to approve the following panels to serve as selected by staff on the SFAC review panels for the 2018-2019 and 2019-2020 fiscal years. Dina Aceban, Program Director with Poppy Art House. Is there any discussion on this action? Yes, I tried to find, I am um, uh, obsessed with LinkedIn. So when you give me a name, I look them up on LinkedIn. And uh, my only observation is, if she's not on LinkedIn, I know nothing about her. So it's really hard for me to weigh in. So if we have someone that we want to add to a committee, it'd be nice to have someone just give a little background on the person. Do we not have the explanatory document of their bio? Typically, the bios are included. Did that not get included? I, I apologize for that. Normally, our panel uh, recommendations come all at once, so you'll get a list of about 300 names. Um, in order to... I wouldn't be looking on LinkedIn for that many. <laughs> no, I think you're very stupid. Um, so what they do have to do is apply online. We have a questionnaire where they have to answer questions about their, their definition or understanding of equity, as well as some demographics that help us curate. Um, what happens sometimes, because we take so much care in developing our panels to ensure equity and representation, that we find that we're, we're needing that one person that has a specific lens that they're looking through. So you, you'll get, once in a while, you'll get a, um, a sprinkling of a few. Um, I apologize that there's not an explanatory document for this individual, but I can provide that to you. Um, I might suggest since that, that didn't get included in the packet that we could table, since it wouldn't be a fully approved motion until full commission on March 4th, so we could table this motion and move it under the Community Investments Committee okay. report of the full commission. And do you know which panel this is for? Yeah, this is actually for Debbie's Music OPG, and if there's a sense of urgency because there was a witness that had to leave, so this particular but the panel doesn't take place until after March 4th, is that correct? Um, the panel takes place, I believe, before March 4th, is that confirmed? Um, Do you need someone to speak on this person? I, well, I think we have a issue here because they can't be a panelist until the March 4th full commission meets. So therefore, they wouldn't be able to be serving in that capacity. So we would have to take somebody from the pre-approved list. Okay, so I, I can work with Debbie on that. In the meantime, we can table this individual until the full commission. So we can still put them forward on March 4th for future panel reference. So we now are moving to panelists to two years. So we see a lot of panel, for those new commissioners, you're gonna see a lot of panelists come before you for approval. Um, there are a lot of panels and given scheduling challenges, um, as existing commissioners know it, it is about over 200 and some uh, panelists that get approved by the commission every year. Um, but given, given the timing, we We'll probably need to look for somebody that's on the, the existing. I think it might be right after March 4th. And I know I can speak to the specific person because I was reading up on the Red Poppy in general. She is, um, Red Poppy has a very interesting uh, way that it creates staff 
they actually pull from the artists that they worked with directly. And so she is an artist in her own right and a programmer. And Red Poppy does a lot of specific music um, in multi-different ethnic cultural groups. And so that's why she was chosen for this specific OPG panel as a representative racial, racial equity lens and someone who does work in the community known to do that and was pulled as an artist themselves. So they hit all the numbers. And she also does the, uh, she runs the uh, music of the band which I think is why she was chosen right, for this, right? exactly. Um, and I just was informed that the panel's March 6th, so if we could approve her and then get her for March 4th, that would be great. Okay. So, can so I, we can wait, we can I ask one question? If all the candidate had to apply online with that really robust, comprehensive questionnaire, are we able to have visibility to see at least those application packets once they have been selected and recommended, so at least if those information are not on LinkedIn, we could at least look at yeah. Normally there's a bio. That's Normally the packet is very thick and there's a bio for each person that we take from that. Um, that I just apologize, that was not included here for you. So let's, let's go ahead and move this item um, to, the full, to the full commission and table this um, item number five. Thank you. Do we need to have public comment on that? I believe we do legally since we discussed the item, so we do need to take public comment. Is there any public comment on the moving of item number five to the general commission for consideration? Seeing none, um, will I call for that motion to table? I think we just call, I think we can just, as chair, you can table it to the full commission. Tabled. Item number six, the market manager contract. The action is a motion to increase the total amount of the personal service contract with MJM Management Group, authorized by resolution number 0806-18240, by $20,000 to provide on-site management for the Embarcadero Plaza Art Vendor Market and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into a contract not to exceed $80,000 at this time. Um, so I'll just introduce this and then ask um, Director Mumby to add and, and also Program Officer um, and Tricky. Um, so this, you may all recall, we shifted to this idea of a contracted market manager that has expertise in managing the public realm. Um, we went through a process and selected MJM Management Group, um, who has been to the conversation earlier today, our representation at the Embarcadero Plaza on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays, which are the busiest days of the um, our vendor market at Embarcadero Plaza. I don't know if Barbara and you wanted to add anything to this extension of that contract. Sure, I think um, we piloted this program in the fall, and um, to give a little bit of background, the street artist program is one that used to sustain itself through the, the licensing, and part of what our staff did, um, the two staff that were funded through the licensing program, they would monitor the market. Um, as the revenue has reduced um, as we streamlined and embedded street artists into the program. We have not, we did not have the resources to cover a second staff person. So Anne's been managing this program on her own. 
What we did have was some carry for dollars and, and looking at the feasibility, it was more affordable for us to look at an on-site market manager, which is what the uh, participants of the program have been wanting, someone on-site. Knowing that they're there from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m., it, it's not feasible for a staff person, a city staff person, to do that type of hourly work. Um, plus the needs on the market, um, when it comes to security and de-escalation, it was a, a scope of services that one staff person just does not have. So um, Anne did a lot of research. We um, went with MGM because they it is a, supposed to be a team of folks, not only somebody to help run the lottery in the morning, but then um, some support with security and oversight of, of traffic and, and parking and setups and mitigating any disagreements on site. Um, we did estimate um, an amount of about 60000 um, they are underexpended in what because they got a little bit of a later start. So we're able just for an additional twenty thousand investment extend them through the end of the fiscal year. And then we can reevaluate if this is the entity that is most effective, if this is the most effective approach, and we can recalibrate at that time. Do you want to elaborate? Just a couple additional pieces. So built into the scope of work with this contract are two separate evalu evaluation periods. There's a three-month evaluation and a six-month evaluation. We're currently gathering feedback on the three-month evaluation with the artists on site. And so I will have that um, data to crunch and report out uh, when we review this contract again. And then the second one will be the six-month evaluation period. But um, because of the complicated nature of the city's contracting process and just how that all works out, we ended up needing to extend at this point in advance, and I think it's, it behooves us to cover to the end of the fiscal year so that we're not dropping any any coverage of that at the time. And my general quantitative qualitative feedback that I've gotten back so far is, is very good, so I'll be able to give you more details soon, which I'm excited about, but so far, so good. I think people wish they were there more often, but right now we really can only cover Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. So, Commissioner Collins, um, I'm going to ask that the committee allow for my recusal on this item as well uh, before any potential motion as MJM management um, is a contributor to my employer, the SFLGBT Center, and that may pose a financial conflict of interest for me, so I will not participate discussion or decision-making upon that potential motion. Thank you, Commissioner. So uh, you've heard the action. Uh, is there any further discussion on this action? Well, yeah. my only um, point, and I'm fine with you know moving forward with, with it, would, would be that I would love to see the evaluation on how they've done. I mean, if we're being asked to extend uh, and provide more compensation for this company for doing a good job. We want to make sure they're doing a good job, and I don't really, I don't have a clear clarity on the scope nor the performance. So I hear that there's going to be a three-month review. So um, next time around, we'll have more information on how they're doing. Thank you. Is there any further discussion? Is there any public comment? Please. Thank you. Um, I would like to say thank you very much, Community Investments and Arts Commissioner. I've been asking for this for years to have a manager. I used to do it as a volunteer. It was pretty demanding. You have to leave your booth and do this and that, and then uh, it was just a lot of work. And then after me, there were a number of other volunteer managers. And the same thing, they burned out pretty fast. 
Um, then the numbers in our program went from 450 down to 200, barely. So there was never any money. We had two people in the office and no money for this. So the fact that I'm standing here and I'm listening to the fact that you're going to give more money to keep this thing going, I'm really appreciative because we really do need it. I do have a little reservations about the current manager or the, or the kind of, not the style, but maybe his, um, well, I'm not sure how to say this, his commitment or actually what his job is. There's a little gray area between when we artists were doing the management, when a, a, a company would come in, a promoter would come in, and they would take the weekend and we would lose all our spaces. But as artists and stakeholders, we would talk to the promoters. Once we explained that we were losing all these spaces, they almost always would give them back. They didn't want us to be out of a job. The current manager, I don't think, is doing that job. I don't think that's part of his, his uh, job description. And I'm not sure that the office is doing it. So now when Repton Park says, okay, this particular weekend there's an event, you've got to leave, there's nobody really there to say, let's talk about it. For instance, we used to work with the, the park ranger or the promoters that week before the event. And almost always when you were there on, on the you know, location, they would say, okay, listen, we can give you this, that, and other thing. So right now, it's sort of like all or nothing. If, if the promoter says we need the whole plaza, we're kind of gone, which means 100 plus artists are out of work for that weekend. So that's pretty tough. So we need to like shore up that kind of gray area. But other than that, it's wonderful having a manager so that artists don't have to do the dirty work of intervening, intervening between arguments and stuff like that. So I hope this person is the, is the right person for the job. I don't see the passion there that, that he has, like for instance, some of you have for the art commission, or if we had someone like this gentleman over there, his passion, it would be a better fit. But the three month evaluation will be great and we'll see after six months. If this isn't the right person, somebody else from that management team might be better. Someone who's really interested in arts and crafts and making sure that artists do not lose a weekend's worth of work when in fact, most promoters will give us space. They want to work with us. So anyway, thanks so much for helping us. There's no way our fees, unless they were doubled, would ever pay for a manager. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks for the public comment. I thought we had a protocol set up after the Super Bowl for things like that, where someone comes in and moves. Yeah, I think our, our program officer, Ann Tricky, can address that. Um, this is a jurisdictional issue with regards to Rec and Park, which has legal authorities over the plaza. I mean, Tom just said it right there. Rec and Park has legal authority. Our agreement with them is not on paper. We don't have an MOU. They can tell us not to be there at any time that they want, and we have to follow suit as a city agency. The previous um, situation, as Tad Scott described it, was also a not on paper thing that individual artists were negotiating with the um, agencies that had been permitted. The permit says they have the space. It doesn't say that the artists and the people permitted have the space. So as in a good faith effort, I am following through with what Reckon Park has been telling me to do. And previously, the person I was negotiating um, with on Reckon Park was kind of a step below um, the higher up. And that person has now moved on to another position in the city. So we are dealing directly with the higher up. And they are not as com compromised focused, um, especially when the permits uh, for the area make them money and the artists do not. So I think this, this is one of the things I would like to address in our future relationship with Rec and Park. Um, I definitely think we could be programming in that area in a different way and hopefully at one point we have an 
on paper agreement MOU with Rec and Park about how that would work. Right now, uh, we basically have to follow protocol because it is their jurisdiction. And just to elaborate on, on what Program Officer Trudeau is saying, we have been working on that MOU. Um, we have engaged Director Dakini as well as a few other avenues to try to figure out a way to make our, our position there permanent, or at least on paper, so we have jurisdiction. Um, and then also to the market manager, I mean, the amount that we're paying for the, the hours, we're, we're getting basically a security guard. It's um, to try to find an individual that is as passionate about the arts as all of us is, is it would be lovely, <laughs> but with the amount of money that we're able to um, support, I think we're lucky to have what we have there at that time. Um, but needless to say, we can look at the evaluation and then go out again to bid if necessary um, to find another person if this, if this group is not working. Yes, and we'll circle back on the issue of a, a larger agreement with Rec and Park. So it is ultimately their jurisdiction, and we are there as essential guests that are, frankly, not paying guests in terms of the fact that these other events generate revenue. So that is a bit of the tension. Um, that said, we are advocating for a more formal agreement so that we could be clear in terms of the authorities. But I do think any final agreement would require our accepting at least some number of days a year in which it would be permitted for our other uses because um, it is significant revenue to the city. I think they should pay the artists who have to move. Yes, so that is that. what happened at the Super Bowl with the Super Bowl Impact Endowment. Um, we had negotiated one agreement with the Super Bowl and the NFL, and the Board of Supervisors thought it was not as favorable to the street artists as they would have liked. So then they, they drafted an ordinance to use general fund savings to, or general fund dollars to create a arts impact endowment, or pardon me, <laughs> that's our other endowment, <laughs> uh, a Super Bowl impact uh, allocation to the street artists. Um, the challenge has been that many entities on the site are not willing to pay that as a part of the additional permitting fees they're already paying to the city. Um, so in essence, that would probably be a decision, a larger a decision of the Board of Supervisors is if they would be either willing to compromise revenues to the city coffer to subsidize those fees. Um, it's certainly an impact that we're you know, relaying to our colleagues at the Recreation and Parks Department. And I just want to speak a little bit more to detail to the difficulty of that piece. Uh, the way the program functions now, you don't have a designated location. You have the use of a location that's not being used or permitted out to someone else. And that's actually the case for many of the artist spaces. Um, so even if the plaza is in use, those artists who regularly sell the plaza can sell at other locations. The additional difficulty would be not every artist that enters the lottery or is licensed sells every day. So determining which artists would be need to, needed to be compensated for which days is quite a complicated mathematical equation and it was extremely difficult to do even with the Super Bowl 50 um, situation. So I want to just put that out there and make sure that when we do have protocols that they're like anticipated in advance and very clear. Do it like Alaska, you know, if you pay to be in the program, you get a dividend if you have to pick your own. <laughs> you know, and I was born in Alaska. <laughs> Duly noted, and I do, you know, we are, I want to share pretty clear advocating for the program and for the artists in those spaces and, and making sure that we do our best part. It's a situation of the competing needs of the space issues in the city are not uh, relegated simply to the cost and affordability, but the, the use of public land is an ongoing tension in terms of lost revenues or potential revenues.
So this um, action is limited to the financial decision to increase uh, the allocation to the purposes of the market manager.